0: God bless you. I'm glad you're here this morning again. I'm welcoming you back. As I said at the beginning, I pray that everyone's still healthy, that God, you're just taking this time that we're cooped up to press into the Lord as well. So we're going to continue our study on, we started last week, we've done a couple of Wednesday nights about the life of Abraham, which is a journey of faith. And last week we talked about his call, Abraham's call. God told him to start walking, but he doesn't tell him where he's going. He just said, start walking and I'll lead you. And as I mentioned last week, God usually doesn't share with us all the things that are going to happen down the road as we continue to follow his will. So he starts walking and now we, come to, we continue on in chapter 12. In verse 5 it says this, Abraham took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had joined his household at Haran, Haran and finally arrived at Canaan. Now, to understand what God is calling him to, let's quickly look back at verse 1. Genesis 12, 1 says this, The Lord told Abraham, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house. What was that to him? That was comfort. That was familiarity. God was telling him to leave things that you're used to, things that you're comfortable with, things that you're familiar with, and journey to a place that none of these are true. You're not familiar with it. You're not going to be comfortable with it, and it's uncertain. God always calls us to something that, if we knew everything, it wouldn't require faith. We always, God always calls us to step out to a place that we don't know what's going to happen, because when that is the case, we have to operate in faith. Now, we don't know how long he lived in Haran, but it tells us that Abraham's dad took him there, And they kind of settled down there. So it's been a number of years that he was there. And we assume that it became home. We assume that it became comfortable for him. You know, it's easy to grow comfortable and complacent in a situation that you have been in for a long time. And when God calls you to something that's new, obviously that's going to be uncomfortable or unfamiliar for you. And there's going to come a time where God challenges all of us to make that move. It may not be as drastic as Abraham's, or any kind of ministry, but it's going to be a time where God challenges you to do something that is outside of your familiarity, your comfort zone. And he will drag you away sometimes kicking and screaming through that. Now, when we moved to Florida, the hardest thing we've ever done as a family was leave our home church. It was, it was gut-wrenching, a lot of tears and crying. It was just, it was, I, I hated it. It was really rough. But we knew that's where God was telling us to go. It was we had never been there before, never really moved there. And we were leaving something that we had been in basically our whole married life. 13, 15 years we were there, and God says, okay, time to go. So it was we were leaving something that was comfortable, familiar, we had friends, and God was kind of like it was like rooting a plant up from pot, ripping it up. But we knew God was doing it, and sometimes God makes you make that radical choice, not because He doesn't want you to be comfortable, but he wants you to operate in faith. God was calling us out of our comfort zone into an unknown situation. Jack Hayford says this, The Lord will stretch you in an area where you find your security. In other words, where are you comfortable? What are you resting your security on? Is it your job? Is it your home? Is it where you live? If that's where you find your security and you don't find it in God, God is going to make you move because he wants your security to be in him. So Abraham was called from what he was familiar with and comfortable with to a place that was actually just the opposite. Canaan at the time was a wicked country, sin-filled country, and the Amorites was a tribe inside of Canaan that was the worst of the worst. Genesis 15, 16 says this, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, God was giving them time. God was giving them time to repent, but when it happened, when their time came and they didn't repent, judgment was coming. So Abraham was sent there as kind of a a witness to them to give them an opportunity to repent, kind of like uh, Jonah and Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go, he didn't want those guys to repent, but they did. He went down, they preached the gospel, they repented, and God's judgment was delayed. And that's what we, we as believers are called to do as well. We are called to go into a sin-filled world and hopefully affect change, allow the witness of Christ in us to change people around us. Philippians 2.15 says this, You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your light shine brightly before them. Well, that sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? We're called to live in a, what, a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. And God wants us to be a witness to that generation, to that group of people. You ever heard, you ever heard the, the, someone say to you, maybe you thought it yourself, if you're young enough, why would you wanna bring children into a world that's this bad? I've had people say that to me, younger people. But you look at the times, they're not a whole lot different than they were 100 years ago. 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, all these years ago. It's not something that, you know, times don't change. And there's going to be times where God directs you into a situation that is really dark in order to be the light for the people in that situation. And I was thinking about this. Do you ever get up in the middle of the night for whatever reason, and you turn a light on, what happens? You, You instantly are blinded because your eyes aren't used to them. And a lot of times when Christians go into a setting, If we let our light shine, it's going to be overpowering because it's so dark there. And people can can do nothing but acknowledge the fact that the witness of Christ is there. So we want God to be able to use us in that situation as well. Now, in Abraham's time, talking about wicked times, Canaanites were responsible for human sacrifices, murder, torture, and unspeakable sexual perversions all in the name of their particular worship, how they practice their religion. All these things were involved. So God was kind of just just waiting either for them to repent. Abraham was sent to challenge them to do that, or judgment was coming on them. Now, there's a saying that we've probably all heard that says, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's no different today than it is then. It may be manifested in different ways, but there's still a lot of wickedness and evil in the world. And we are called not to withdraw from that, but to interact with that and let the light and the salt that we have interact with the darkness that's out there. And God is calling us to stand for him in the middle of these dark days and God the circumstances. Matthew 5.14 says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all to see. Abraham was called to be a witness in a culture that was steeped in evil, in wickedness, in order to give them an opportunity to repent, to to stave off judgment. And we're called to do the same in whatever situation we're in. This this thing that we're in right now, perfect opportunity to let our light shine in an evil and wicked world. Not that everyone around us is evil and wicked, but God, we can use this time that people are all upset and discouraged about, use it as a time to let the light of Christ shine so we can be Jesus to the people around us even when they're struggling with what's going on. And when God calls, when God calls you, it's not only you that's affected by that call. When Abraham left on his walk, he didn't go by himself. He took Lot, took his wife Sarah, and he took all those who were involved in his household as well as all his possessions. And technically, all of those folks were his dependents. They were dependent upon his, his work, whatever he did. His servants were responsible, and because of that, God, you know, Abraham was responsible for them. Imagine if Abraham would not have gone. Not only would they have missed out, him missed out on the promised land, all those other folks would have missed out on the promised land as well. They would have missed out on the blessing that God told them was going to happen down the road if they just followed him in faith. If he didn't go, not only him, Lot, Sarah, all his servants, none of them would have experienced the, the promised land that God promised them. And if we think that doing or not doing God's will is just affecting us, there's people in your life that's going to affect as well. Genesis 12:6, traveling through Canaan, they came to a place near Shechem and set up camp beside the oak at Mora. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. Isn't it interesting that we don't know anything about his trip? Now, I mentioned earlier in the series that God doesn't put anything in his Bible that's not important. And he also doesn't leave out things in his Bible that would be important. So if it's not listed, if if his trip isn't enumerated in God's word, there's a reason for that. And I think the reason is because it wasn't the trip, it was the destination. That's what God was interested in and where he was going. Canaan is the promised land. Abraham entered into God's inheritance, that's what God told him he was going to inherit. He entered it by faith. He left his home and he entered into the promise by faith. And we as believers, we enter into God's inheritance. What is that? That We now become God's kids, right? We now become children of God. And therefore, since we are children of God, we are inheriting God's promises. And we do that by how? By faith, by faith in Christ. And what happens when we do obediently do God's will? Genesis 12, 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. First thing we notice is God showed up. When Abraham met his destination, got to his destination, God showed up. I don't know about you, but it's always great confirmation when you start something in faith for God, and you see God working, and God really ministering in that situation, and you see things that happen that only God can do. Kind of a confirmation that what you're doing is exactly what God wants you to do. And nothing more encouraging than having God confirm something in me that I've been praying about or considering stepping out in faith about, and then I do it, and then God confirms it. Maybe God speaks to me through his word, or God just... See, I can see something happen that only God can do. Last week, in, I, I gave you the example last week of Philippians 1, six when I was going through Bible college, and this is the verse that God confirmed to me that gave me the encouragement that, you know, he will complete that which he started in me, and that, you know, that was Bible college. So it's... It, when God confirms something to you, speaks to you through his word or through prayer or, or however God does to you as a confirmation, man, it, it spurs you on. You just want to keep going. God told Abraham the plan. We didn't know what he was going to do when he left, but when he got there, now the trip was 600 miles, so we don't know how long that took him to get there, quite a while. But all the way there, he had no idea. Once he got there, God then revealed to him what the plan was, and it wasn't going to involve him. A lot of times we get to a situation that God promises, and we don't know what's going to happen until we actually start doing it. When we're there and we see, "Ah, now I get why God had me do this. Well, he gets to the land, then God reveals to him the plan. But then he tells him, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your offspring. Your offspring are be the ones that are going to inherit him, which means he's probably not going to be around for that, that moment. In fact, we see that's true. In Genesis fifteen sixteen says, In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Sometimes your obedience and sacrifice isn't necessarily meant for you. It could be possible for the next generation that's coming that will benefit from your obedience and sacrifice. Parents, we do it all the time. We give up and we sacrifice in order to make our children have a better life than possibly we have or just we sacrifice to make their life better. And that's what they were doing. People in the armed forces do the same. They sacrifice their lives in in war or whatever to benefit other people, maybe other generations we fight wars so our children don't have to live in bad situations. Bringing it closer to home, more relevant. 80 years ago, some people got together and started to assembly. And then some 40-some years ago, they built this building that we're in, that we can't be in. But they built this building. The people who started 80 years ago aren't around anymore. The people who built the building, a lot of them are gone. of them went home to be with Jesus. Some are left. But we are the ones who benefit from their sacrifice and their obedience. When God called them to start this church, build this building, when God called them to do that, they were obedient, they sacrificed, and we now are the beneficiaries of that. And hopefully, those of us now who continue on, other generations will look back and say, we were obedient, and we sacrificed, and they're the beneficiaries of God's blessing. Now, what's the first thing Abraham does when God confirms to him what he was doing? Genesis 12:7, And it says that Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. Going back to what I said earlier, when you get God's confirmation on something, you just know that God spoke to you or something happened, what do you want to do? You want nothing more than to thank God and to worship God and to honor him because he's interacting with you doesn't mean we walk down the streets, waving our hands in the air and being really obnoxious about it, but we do have a call to worship God and to thank Him for what He is doing. And sometimes it means doing it when you don't feel like doing it, doing it when others don't feel like doing it. It doesn't mean you hide, That's what I'm trying to say. You don't, you don't hide your worship. You don't hide your relationship with God. You are excited about the things of God. And now you begin to see God moving, and so you move on in excitement and anticipation of what he's going to do next, and you don't hide what God's doing. Abraham set this altar up in the middle of the land. In this pagan nation, God, he sets this altar up to worship God in view of everybody else, we assume. It wasn't in a cave anywhere. It wasn't on the side of the road. It was plain. So others could see it. Do others see us living our life for Christ? Do the things that we do, are they, are they apparent to other people? Or do we act like other people? Do we kind of hide that we're Christians? I, I thought about um, Daniel. When they, they made the law, you can't pray anybody else. You, know, you can't pray to anybody else. Daniel's habit at that time was to go to his window, open the windows, and pray. And the law came down, don't, don't pray. Now Daniel could have went, closed the doors, and went and prayed in his closet like we hear in the New Testament. But he didn't. He defiantly opened the windows like he did. It wasn't, you know, anything new. It was just he was doing what he had always done. He opens the windows, he prays, and he gets in trouble for it. The point was he didn't hide away. He didn't succumb to the pressure at that moment. And sometimes in our situations, if we go into a dark area, our first reaction might be, to hide who we are, to not be, I'm not saying be obnoxious about it, but you need to be able to take a stand and know that other people know that you're a Christian. You know, the world would love it if we would keep our faith inside, not outside. Now, right now we can't do that. Or it's even worse, God, you know, keep your faith in your own home, don't take it anywhere. God doesn't call us to that. God has called us to be a light in the world, in the darkness. We don't need all the light in the home or even in the church building. Our light is meant to shine outside in the world. So Daniel prayed, and he trusts God. He trusted God with the outcome of being obedient to pray. And not only did he worship there, Abraham, every time he stopped, he worshiped. Genesis 12, 7. After that, Abraham traveled southward and set up camp in the hill country between Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar and worshiped the Lord. Then Abram traveled south by stages toward the Negev. During their 30 years of travel by the Israelites, they used tents, right, and tabernacles. When you go camping, you use tents. Why do you use tents? What do they symbolize? They symbolize a temporary residence, right? You don't take your house with you when you go camping, you take a tent. And even if you take a mobile home, it's not a a permanent residence, it's a temporary residence. Tents are temporary places to live while you're away from home or you've not gotten to the place where you're actually arriving. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, we will will have a home in heaven. The tent symbolized that he and us were not citizens of this world. We live in a tent, which is a temporary residence as we anticipate what's coming. The altar symbolized that he and us are citizens of heaven. So we're not citizens here. We dwell here, we occupy here, the Bible says. In other words, we do all the things we do, we live our life, we do what we need to do, but this is only a temporary place for us. We have to recognize that all throughout our life, that this is only temporary. However long you're here, 70, 80, 90 years, however long it is, it's still temporary compared to what God has for us after we're gone. The point is, everywhere Abraham went, he testified to that fact. A, I'm not a citizen in this this area, I live in a tent, and B, I am a citizen of heaven. I worship God, the God of Abraham. Now, we've been talking about his his failure in Egypt on Wednesday night. I'm not going to go into that because we, uh, we talked about that on Wednesday nights. But notice what happened. He got into trouble in these situations when he left his tent. He went down into Egypt, left his altar and his tent back. Whenever we forget about God's call, we forget about God's promises, we forget about who we are and where we are, when we forget that and we start living like everybody else, what happens? We get in trouble, right? We begin to live by the world's standards. That's what he did in Egypt. He began to do everything that they did, and we're going to find out later that Lot, that's all he did. He just—he pursued that. He pursued the world system the whole time. And usually when you start doing that, that now affects your intimacy with God. When you start living to the world standards and doing what they want, you become convicted. And so what you do, you quit praying, you quit reading, you quit having that intimacy because every time you do that, conviction comes upon you. I'm not going to go to Egypt, but I'm going to say this. Abraham left his tent to go to Egypt. Egypt, as we said, is a symbol of the world. And he got into trouble for being outside of God's will. He left where he was supposed to stay. But Abraham was able to repent and renew that relationship with God, Genesis 13.1. So they left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev. Abraham with his wife and Lot and all that they owned, Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. Then they continued traveling by stages towards Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai where they worshiped before. This was the place where Abraham had built the altar and there he again worshiped the Lord. Sometimes when we fail a test, we get sucked into the world system for a moment. What do we have to do? We have to go back to the beginning, back to where we were, back to a confession before God acknowledging what we did and then God gives you a clean slate you move on from there the enemy will tell you that you failed and that there is no going back but God's word tells us that if we return to him we can have a new beginning Right? the Old Testament tells us that the New Testament tells us that Psalm 51, 12 says restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you you can get that joy back Ask God for it. He'll renew it. First John 1, nine: we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. You want to avoid trouble and heartache? Stay in the tent. Stay in the temporary residence. Know that you're a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of earth. Keep worshiping God. Trust him to carry you through whatever you're in. Every time Abraham did that, every time, he was blessed. And every time he stepped into the world, he brought trouble upon himself and other people. Now, lastly, you would think that Abraham made out in Egypt. He went back, right? Verse 16 says, then Pharaoh gave Abraham many gifts because of her, sheep, cattle, donkeys, male and female, servants and camels. You would think that even though he sinned, he got all these blessings. Well, if you look at what happened with these things, you're going to realize that they were traps. They really weren't blessings. Every material blessing we receive doesn't necessarily make us closer to God or even is a sign of us being right with God. He received all these things right in the middle of him sinning, right? What happened with the things he received while he was in Egypt? Well, he comes back with all this livestock, and what happens? It causes him and Lot to have to separate right? The blessing caused separation in the family. Lot got a taste of what happened in Egypt, and he wanted more of it. And he separated and moved toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And who did Sarah bring back with her from Egypt? He brought Hagar, the Egyptian maidservant. And we all know what happened with Hagar. She was the one that bore Abraham, the child outside of God's will, and we know what trouble that caused. So the things that would appear to be blessings were actually hardships for him in the future. So basically what that means, if you receive something that appears to be good because you've done something wrong, that good thing is going to eventually be what brings you down and cause heartache in your life. No matter how old we get in the Lord, no matter how mature we are, we will always be like children depending upon God. We need direction from him. We may be mature adults. But we will always be dependent children. You know, we're going to find out more about Abraham's life of faith as this continues on. But one thing I want to ask you, and I've said this before, I do this at, at all of my, almost all of my uh, services. Because we're online now and because we're, not in a building. There may be a lot more people watching this than would actually come to a church building, and we are excited for that. We're we're hoping that God's word gets out, and and even through inadequate people like myself, it it it's the word of God that makes the change. It's not the preacher. And, and if you're listening to this and you you don't know much about the Christian faith, or you know a little bit about it, or you know a lot about it, but you've never made the commitment. I said it before, there's no accidents in God's kingdom, no, no coincidences in God's economy. Someone said that a coincidence is God would be choosing to remain anonymous. If you're watching this, it's because God wanted you to see something or hear something that spoke to you, spoke to your life, spoke to your need. And he does that because he wants to get your attention. He wants to have a relationship with you. And if he's got your attention, that means he's drawing you. The Bible says that no one comes to God unless, the God unless the Father draws him. So that means if you're thinking about God, that's because God's making you think about him so that you are able to make an informed choice. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all sin and we all fall short of what God's expectations of us are. And if you're listening, I'm sure you know that. You don't do things perfectly I don't do things perfectly but the Bible also says that because we're sinners we can't make it to heaven we can't have a relationship with God the Bible also says that the good news is that Jesus came and paid the penalty for that whatever penalty we owed because of our sin Jesus took it and Jesus says because I'm taking your, your penalty you're free from sin and the only stipulation he has is that you believe that it's true, that Jesus is, in fact, God, that he did die for your sins and mine, and that God raised him on the third day to confirm to us that everything he said and did was true, and that Jesus is right now, the Bible says, he ever intercedes for us, in other words, he's praying right now for us, and he's praying for you, because he wants you to come into a relationship with him. So I'm gonna ask you now, if you want to have that relationship, you wanna have something in your life that you can hang your head on, that you can be assured of, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure, if you're, not, if you're not positive about a relationship, it means you probably don't have one. But the Bible says you can know that you know, that you have a right relationship with God, and that when your life is over, you will be with Christ in heaven. I want you to pray with me if you want that right now. Repeat after me if you would, dear Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for all you have done to allow me to have a relationship with you. I accept your death as payment for my sins. And I believe that God raised you on the third day because of that belief, I trust that I am now a child of God. Amen. It's that easy. It's that easy. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him, that Jesus is God and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll have a right relationship with God. If you've done that, please get a hold of me. Contact us at the church. Email me. You'll see the information below on the screen. Uh, call us, email us, text us. Our information is on the website. We want to get some information into your hands to start out as a new believer. It's an exciting time. Our, our phrase has always been come expecting. Amen. This is exciting for what God's doing in your life. Expect God to show up. Abraham left not knowing what was going to happen, but I believe he expected God to show up where he was, and he did. So if you've made that decision today or if you recommitted your life to Christ, please let us know. We want to help you and pray with you and get you on your journey to a right and a full relationship with Christ. God bless you. Have a tremendous week, and we will see you Wednesday night as we continue talking about the life of Abraham. God bless you.